Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. Well, I want to welcome everyone here this morning to our second Sunday morning service online. So glad to have all of you. You know, as a church congregation, I absolutely miss, both Vic and I miss, not seeing you here. And an empty auditorium is um, really awakening to the fact how, how empty a church building can really be if God's people are not in it. But we know that you're in your homes today, and uh, I hope you have your family around you. It's a wonderful time at, uh, for at least a season here that what all we're dealing with as a nation, that you take this time and use it wisely to spend time with your family, to play together, pray together, and read God's Word together. So thank you. If there's any guests that are uh, with us today, we're honored to have you here. And let me say this also during the message today. Uh, I hope that you respond. We can hear something online that the message is blessing you. Uh, if you have a miracle to share, we'd love to hear that also. And, um, and uh, so right now we're going to receive the offering. And as um, uh, the announcement went that you have different ways to give through the uh, um, through the apps that we provide for you. And so um, uh, make sure that you write your checks out if you want to send them to Faith Family Church and, uh, or go online and give online. We appreciate it. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 8. It says this, Now I want to tell you what God in His grace has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, they have mixed their wonderful joy with their deep poverty, and the result has been an overflowing of giving to others. I think that's so interesting to, to, to think that there was a lot of struggle in those days when the church was being birthed, and finances were not liberal at that time. But yet they saw the value of God's kingdom, and they believed in investing in God's kingdom was the most important thing in their lives. And he goes on and says, They gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And I can testify that they did it because they wanted to, and not because of nagging on my part. They begged us to take the money so that we could share, they could share in the joy of helping the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our biggest, uh, our highest hopes, for their first action was to dedicate themselves uh, to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God might give to them through us. They were so enthusiastic about it that we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to visit you and encourage you to complete your sharing in this ministry of giving. So, you know, people say, what kind of ministry do I have? Well, some people really do have a ministry of giving in the sense of God uh, really excels them in business, and, and, and so they make uh, greater investments, but everybody's investment is important. And sometimes you think your small offering doesn't count, but they all do. Ephesians 6 says, we're the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So you have a supply. And if, you're, if you'll believe God and obey God and bring that supply to, to, to the house of God, God will increase you and bless you for it. He goes... He goes, you people there are leaders in so many ways. You have so much faith and so many good preachers, so much learning, so much enthusiasm, so much love for us. Now I want you to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving. And he actually went on to say in the, the next chapter, chapter 9, that God would not do without a cheerful giver, a prompt-to-do-it giver 
whose passion is seeing the kingdom of God increase. And, and I, I appreciate your giving. We Here at Faith Family Church, all week, the church continues to, um, to, to go forward as far as all the uh, responsibilities we have in the arena of covering all the bases financially, and we can do that through your giving. And I pray earnestly that God will bless you richly for trusting him and obeying his word, because he will. He promised he would in the scripture. So God bless you for your giving today. Amen. I am. Um, let's pray before we get into the word of God and um, ask God to bless his word. Father, we just thank you today. As every family is joined together at home, God, thank you that there will be a word of inspiration for everyone, uh, 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 no matter their age, God, that you will touch their hearts and you will inspire them and open up the eyes of their understanding and quicken their hearts, God, that they can rejoice in all that you're saying to them. God, thank you that the, it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And we trust you that the anointing today is upon your word, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you also, if you would go on Facebook, Pastor Vicki this morning woke up early, and, and she, um, she began to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in, 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 in regarding, um, uh, I wrote it down, in regarding the uh, oh, breakthroughs for your life. And so go, go over to um, uh, the Facebook later on after the uh, service is over and read that. It will really inspire you. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. We're going to begin there today. And, um, of course, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. And right here, of course, is his first letter. And he actually starts out um, correcting the church at Corinth regarding contention that had been built up in the church. And it was all over identity. Uh, uh, some were saying, I'm of I'm a Paul. Some were saying, I'm a Paul. I'm of a I am of Apollos, and some were saying, I'm of Jesus. And Paul wanted to straighten this out before it, it got out of line and, and caused more division. And here's what he says in chapter 2. He said, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. I want you to hold on to that thought, secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ. Uh, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. Paul was saying this, you know, I may have gotten revelation from God, but I'm just like you. I deal with the same challenges of life, the same insecurities, uh, the same attacks. He said, I'm no different than you. Uh, so don't be lifting man up, but rather be lifting Jesus up. He said, my message and my preaching was very plain. Uh, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet, when I am among mature, hold that thought also, mature. When I'm among the mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. Know the wisdom we speak is uh, speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world um, have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified uh, uh, our glorious Lord. 
See, the devil didn't realize that at the moment, we'll look at this scripture in a moment, the moment God spoke his redemptive plan into the earth, he didn't realize that that, that that would be a seed that would multiply. In other words, that if he thought one Jesus was a problem, that he was going to realize and awaken to the fact that that Christ-like nature would be imparted to whosoever believes in the redemptive work of God, and it would multiply and multiply and cause him great problems. So this morning, I really want to talk about, I titled the message, Unveiling the Mystery, Unveiling the Mystery of Redemption. See, traditionally, we're coming into the Easter um, uh, time. For us believers, it's the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection. It's the celebration of the cross of Christ. And, what, and we're going to talk about what was happening behind the scenes to, to fulfill God's secret mission uh, in order to take us from the dominion of darkness, Colossians 1 says, so that we sinners could be translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. I want to give you some definitions of, of, the, um, of the word redemption, because <clears throat> sometimes, you know, we say words and we're not sure what they mean. The word redemption means ransom in full atoning price. To redeem means to, let, uh, to buy back a forfeited estate, freeing from bondage, rescuing from sin and its consequences. Everything regarding redemption was wrapped up in God's, quote-unquote, secret plan so that he could reverse the curse of spiritual death, restore to Adam and his offspring, including you and I, what, he, what Adam forfeited in the Garden of Eden and when he compromised God's word. Uh, uh, and that was to restore to man his spiritual life. It's interesting how in one garden, Adam lost, in his garden, Adam lost his uh, spiritual life. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus restored that spiritual life back to whosoever believes in him. Now, verse 8 says in the King James, if the if, if the princes of this world had known, known what? The mystery of redemption. They would have not crucified the Lord of glory. See, Christ, uh, see, the crucified Christ is the hope of every sinner's eternity. The crucified Christ gave all sinners access to God's, not only his salvation, but to his righteousness. And then the resurrected Christ, hallelujah, provides Whosoever comes to him provides access into his throne room of grace. That's the good news of the gospel. We live by the crucified Christ, and we have hope through the crucified Christ, and we have a future because of the resurrected Christ, our Lord Jesus. Verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. But it was to us. Who, to us who? Who believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, that God revealed these things or these eternal truths by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Oh my, that's so powerful. Now I'm not talking about deep, deep secrets outside the word of God. I'm talking about deep uh, secrets hidden within the pages of God's word. Okay? And then he says, um, no no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we, believers in Christ, have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Why? So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And what are some of those wonderful things? Well, it's his unconditional love, the wonderful thing of God's mercy. And I want to tell you this. I've said it often. But I always want you to know that God's mercy will always go far deeper than your transgression. So remember that. 
so that you, so you can get back to God, get reunited to God, so that he can impart his goodness and his love to you. We also uh, receive the things of um, spiritual restoration, uh, the name which is above every name, a healing, health, uh, divine protection, which we need to believe for in this time that the nation is facing overall. Now, I want to go back to Genesis. We're going to begin there in Genesis, the third chapter, and we're going to look at the crime scene and the origin of Adam's uh, rebellion and at the same time discover the origin of this mystery God calls the mystery of his redeeming love. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Uh, again, deity is so beautiful because any time in the Old Testament where it talks about Lord God, it's referring to the second person of the Godhead, Jesus. And he said to the woman, this is the devil, he spoke to the woman and he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the, gar- uh, in the garden? Well, that's not what God said. God actually said you can eat of every tree of the garden. See, the devil always wants to, you to focus on what you don't have rather than focus on all the goodness that you do have in Christ Jesus. And the woman responded by saying, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Here's the devil's response. You shall not surely die. Uh, always remember, half truth is still a whole lie. And of course, she wouldn't die physically, but they would die spiritually. That means spiritual, that means being separated from God spiritually. And the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. All they knew was good. They didn't know evil. But he, he um, so subtly put into their mind that maybe God was holding back something that they, that they, that they didn't have or that they should have. And see, there's where the temptation came. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, was good for food. Oh, let me go back and finish verse 5. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. Watch this. And you will be like God. Isn't that something? That's what Satan wanted to be. Lucifer, the archangel of God, wanted to be like God. But listen, apart from God. And the only, way, the only way you can be like God is in, is in Christ Jesus, is to experience salvation through Christ. Then you can be God-like in the sense of have his nature and his attributes. Amen. So then it goes on and says, when the woman saw, there's their eyes, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, that's the lust of the eyes, and, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the pride of life. She took some of it, some, and ate it. And she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, watch this, and they realized for the first time that they were naked. What do you mean they were naked? The glory of God that was their covering lifted from them, and they realized that apart from God, they were completely naked, transparent, open to the sin that they committed, and, um, and they were ashamed. And the Bible said they wouldn't hid themselves from God. So the three avenues through which all temptation comes from are listed in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are always, there are no other avenues through which Satan tempts us. It's only through those three. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now listen to this. And it was pride that surfaced immediately following Adam's transgression. How do we know? Instead of accepting responsibility for what he did, you know what he said? Verse 12, he blamed the woman. 
And in verse 13, the woman blamed the serpent. And that's been the divisive tactic Satan has used against the church all, all this time. The blame game. Uh, the pride. Uh, isn't that something how it is so hard for even Christians to accept responsibility for their behaviors? You try to correct somebody, oh my goodness, you'll see what's on the inside of them. And we always need to stay humble before God. Now, what's the difference between spiritual maturity and immaturity? I'll tell you. Here's the difference. A mature person accepts responsibility for his actions, now listen, and makes the inward adjustments while the immature person accuses another while excusing himself. That's the difference between a mature Christian and immature. So now that we have seen the origin of sin, now let's look at the origin of um, redemption. Genesis 3, verse 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity, or hostility as that word means, uh, between you and the woman. And the woman there is referring to the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, you and I. That's who's, that's who he, that is what's being referenced there. And between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. That word head there means he's going to crush your position of authority. The power that you, that you had, this seed of the woman, is going to crush and destroy that position of authority. And that authority, of course, was over humanity, Okay. And uh, Paul confirmed this in Colossians 2. Listen to this. This is God's Word translation. Now, you were once dead because of your failures and your uncircumcised corrupt nature. But God made you alive with Christ when he forgave all your failures. He did this by erasing the charges that were brought against us by the written laws God had established. He took the charges away by nailing them to the cross. Watch this. He stripped the rulers and authorities of their power and made a public spectacle of them as he celebrated his, his victory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's so powerful because... Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. And there's a beautiful story. I don't have time to read it. But this is in the Mark, the fifth chapter, if you want to read it. And it's a story about a man who was demon-possessed. In fact, he was so possessed, he had 6,000 demons living on the side of him. And what's so beautiful about the story is that, listen, those demons could control uh, uh, his soul, but they, he couldn't, they, his body, but they couldn't control his soul, his mind, his will, and emotions. He literally went running to Jesus and bowed down crying out to God because you wanted to be free. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, God, I don't care how bound you are, how addicted you are, God will set you free if you will yield your life to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the only authority and power Satan has now, listen, is the power you give him. And the power you give him will be, de- will be determined by how wise you are in speaking, how wise you are in protecting your uh, heart so that, it all, so that you're always feeding it with good things instead of uh, other things of this world. So he only gets to you through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. From the moment God decreed his will, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head, Satan was on the prowl at that very moment seeking out the, his adversary to destroy him. I love this. The good news is God is always been one step ahead of the devil, and, and when he finally discovered who that seed was, it was too late for that prophetic mystery. That prophetic mystery of redemption was in the earth, and there was nothing the devil could do to stop it. Praise God. God is faithful to his word. Now, turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus has just finished a message called the parable of the sower. 
The word, the parable simply means he used, he always used natural stories to reveal a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And uh, verse 10 says, the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you speaking to the people in parables? I mean, we don't even have a clue what you're saying. Why are you speaking in parables? And watch this. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you, you who? You who are open to the truth, to know the mysteries or the deep secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them who aren't open to the secret things of God, it is not given. And in the Message Bible says, uh, Jesus said, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. Now, when I, I, when I read that, I thought about this. Have you ever witnessed to somebody uh, and um, shared your testimony with them? And they look at you and they smile and said, you know, that's good. That's, that's okay for you. That's fine for you. But I'm not interested. And the reason they respond like that is because they're not open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've closed their heart to the truth. But here's the neat thing, and sometimes it can be discouraging, but your part is to keep praying for them, and your part is to keep testifying of God's goodness in your life personally. And I'll give you an example. Uh, about three weeks ago, we had a revival here at church. We had uh, seven services in a row, and during that time, in the middle of the week, uh, um, uh, Bruce Weinzettel was talking to um, his sister, and his sister was telling him about a very good friend that she worked with, that her daddy was passing away. He's dying, and he was up in Aberdeen. And so, and the family had said to, 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 um, to Bruce and his sister that this um, uh, dad was not, uh, wouldn't respond, wasn't open at all to the gospel, and they were concerned for his future. And so Bruce, that evening, he prayed, and he said, God, would you send a laborer across uh, his pathway? And immediately the Spirit of God spoke to him and says, you're the laborer, Go. So Bruce got up that morning, three-hour trip up to Aberdeen, and he got to the hospital because of the coronavirus. There's all sorts of activity, uh, you know, chaos, everybody running to and fro. And he almost for a moment got discouraged and thought, oh, man, I'm just going to leave. But at, at one point, he simply walked up to a nurse and said, ma'am, do you think I could just go in there for like three or four minutes and pray for this man? I've traveled all the way from Sioux Falls to do so. She was very gracious. She said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So he went in there, and what's kind of amusing is that the gentleman in his 80s, his hearing was just about gone, so they had actually put a headset on his, uh, on his head and to speak to him through a microphone. So Bruce, uh, Bruce said, told him that I'm here to, just to, to tell you that Jesus loves you, and I would love to pray for you to receive Christ in your life so that you have confidence regarding eternity. And, and, and uh, he really loves you. Would, would, can I pray for you? Would you? Can I lead you in a sinner's prayer? And the old man, up to this point, had not been open at all. He said, yes, I would like you to pray for me. And so Bruce prayed for him, praise God, and led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And at one point, after they were done praying, he looked right back at the man with a big smile. He says, Jesus really loves you. And he looked up and smiled at Bruce and said, yes, Jesus does love me. So what an awesome thing that one more soul was, had entered into the kingdom of heaven at the very end of his life, because that's how merciful God is. But God needed a vessel. God needed someone to, to go. And that's with you. You have a testimony, a life-changing testimony. Outside the doors of, uh, of your house, your neighbors, your friends, people you work for, they don't know how good, loving, and merciful God is until you tell them that that's what he is in your life on a daily basis. Let's continue. 
Why do you tell stories? And Jesus replied, you've been given insight. There's that revelation. Insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Now, when you read that, you almost think, well, well, is is God, you know, does he prefer, does he only give revelation to some and not others? No, no, no. He literally tells us why these people who are listening could not perceive and understand what he said. Here's, here's, here it is. Whenever someone has a ready heart, see that older gentleman, finally he had a ready heart. Okay, he was, he was open to God. Has a ready heart for this. The insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, if there is no preparation, remember John said, uh, John the Baptist, his message was, prepare ye the way of the Lord, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In other words, prepare the way of the Lord and allow him to come in and straighten your life out. <laughs> That's what it means. So the Bible says, but, any, uh, but if there's no readiness and any trace of receptivity, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories. To create readiness to nudge the people toward receptive insight. Now, in their present state, and I, I put this in parentheses because it's true, in their present state of pride, remember pride is one of, of the tests in your life, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. They can listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. And I don't want, Jesus said, I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. That's funny in message translation. They, they, listen, they, they, not the devil, not the devil, they. says they stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look, so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. But you, my disciples... You have blessed, God-blessed eyes. Say that with your family. I have God-blessed eyes. Eyes to see, and I have God-blessed ears to hear. So the ability to hear and to see and perceive has always been connected to the condition of one's heart, which Jesus revealed in the parable of the sower. It's the condition of the soil that determines the harvest, that's the condition of the soil of the heart that determines the measure of seeing and hearing. If you're humble before God, reverent before God, literally, he will open up the spiritual truth to you so that you can walk in it and enjoy the fullness of everything that God promised in his word. Now, in chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus is addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, okay? And... Um, and he's, and he's talking to his disciples. Verse 10. Listen and try to understand. What goes into a person's mouth doesn't make him unclean. Isn't that funny today? Even Christians, they get so hung up. Uh, oh, they got to watch everything they eat. I got to watch everything. I got to watch everything they eat. They're more obsessed about that than, than the longing and the hunger for God's word. All about the external. Listen, it's all going to fade away. It's all going to drop dead. Or if Jesus comes, to rapture. But this flesh profits you nothing, okay? Uh, in fact, Paul told Timothy that. Exercise profits little. He's talking about the physical part of man because they had the same hang-ups as we do today in the 21st century. Listen and understand. What goes into a person's mouth doesn't make him unclean. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you realize that when the Pharisees heard this, now, they were, they were hearing, but not perceiving. They were hearing, but not understanding, because their hearts were closed, okay? 
Do you not realize when the Pharisees heard your statement, they were offended? He answered, any plant that my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Now, what does that even mean? He's simply saying, I've sent the Redeemer. The Redeemer, he's called the root of Jesse. The Redeemer is, uh, is the, the tree of life. And so he's saying, he's saying here in the scripture that um, uh, any plant my father did not plant will be uprooted. And it reminded me of the fig tree. Jesus one day walked by a fig tree, and the Bible says he was hungry. And he reached out to get figs off the fig tree, and the fig tree was completely barren. So Jesus' response to that was, hey, because you have stopped doing what you were created to do, and that's bear fruit, I curse you from the very roots, and that, wither, that tree withered. See, the Pharisees were called and raised up by God to study the law. I mean, they knew the law frontwards and backwards, but it was their arrogance. It was their pride that stopped them from receiving the true revelation of redemption. Redemption is, is, is recorded from Genesis to, to, um, to Malachi. Redemption is all through the Old Testament, and they were so blinded by their own pride and by their own rebellion that they, they could not see the Redeemer that was standing right in front of them. It's amazing how deception can be such a powerful force. And here's what Jesus said. Leave them alone. Watch this. They are blind leaders. When one blind person leads another, both will fall into the same pit. He says, Peter said, explain this illustration to us. Jesus says, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and then into the toilet? But whatever goes out of the mouth comes from within, and that's what makes a person unclean. Now look at the first thing that comes out. Evil thoughts. What do evil thoughts do? They produce murder, adultery, other sexual sins, stealing, lying, cursing. Um, it all comes from within. These are the things that make a person unclean. And it's so interesting, you just write the scripture down. Proverbs 6, verse 18. They amplify it, says that your heart is a manufacturing center. And whatever, this, whatever kinds of seeds, whether the crop seeds or good seeds, whatever you allow to go in and take root, they will grow, and when the pressure's on, those things will come out of your mouth. You need to understand that so you only sow good seeds. Now, just a couple more verses today. Luke 18. This is the parable of the Pharisee and publican. And it's, and it's showing hypocrisy in action. Listen to this. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Well, we're supposed to love everyone else, not scorn them. Then Jesus told this story to, uh, excuse me, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. He was an IRS agent. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Listen to his prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, liar. I don't sin, liar. And I don't commit adultery, liar. Jesus said, if you just look at a woman, to, uh, and you lust for her in your heart, you've committed, that, committed the act already. So he lied through the whole thing. Not transparent before God, not humble before God, not letting, not, not letting God know how much mercy he would need in his life to be in right standing with God because he was so full of pride. Pride was blinding his eyes, spiritual sight. The Bible says, and I'm certain, uh, I fast twice, I'm certainly like this tax collector, for I, I he says, I um, 
fast twice, and I give tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at distance and um, didn't even dare to even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Listen to him. He stead, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Isn't it something how pride, listen, will distort your spiritual perception so that you don't even allow God to show you what you are really like? Amen. And then hinders you from true repentance. On the other hand, humility and reverence will keep your perspective clear. Amen. That's a full-time job. You don't have time for uh, try to correct everybody else. And listen, listen. Your piece of real estate that you've been called to manage is your own heart, your own spirit, and your own will, your thoughts and your emotions. And that is a full-time job. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. That's your part. You have to guard it. Why? Because what you allow in will end up coming out and being expressed in your behavior. Galatians 3. It says, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by, absor- by absorbing what the curse completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared. I love that. And we can see, the air is cleared, and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. Abraham knew who he was without God. Abraham, he had all the, he had all the channels of life that we face today. And he had, yet he understood that God himself was the one who provided, listen, he, he himself provided right standing with uh, man and man right standing with him through the shed blood of a sacrificial lamb. That's what Easter is all about. It's the celebration. It's Christ crucified. It's Christ resurrected so that we can, I love this, Christ being resurrected gives you access into the throne room of grace. I mean, right into God's presence. Not distance, not far away. See, Israelites couldn't go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. Only the high priest could. But Jesus now is our high priest. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 verse 14, I believe, or 17, he's our high priest of things pertaining to God. So when you go to God, you're going to God through Christ Jesus. You're going to God through Christ's righteousness. You're going to God through his death and resurrection. That's what qualifies you. So don't, like Brother Copeland said years ago, don't run from sin. Don't run from God because of sin. you got to run to him because he really really does love you, and he really does want to set you free. And I'm talking to you as a believer. I mean, it's amazing that the addictions that we can pick up after we're saved, but God wants you to be free in every area of your life. He wants the chains broken as we were uh, singing about this morning. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and... um, we're going to receive communion today uh, and, um, uh, in just a few minutes. And so I, I want you to prepare your family for this uh, awesome uh, tradition that we are to fulfill because Christ told us to. Do this in remembrance of me. And um, 
I'll be preaching during, the, uh, during this season of the celebration of Christ's resurrection. I'll be preaching on all of the things that happened during this wonderful, uh, actually horrible event for himself, but a wonderful event for us as sinners. And um, so, but one of the things that the Bible says that he is, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, he's called the Passover lamb. And um, that's what he is. What does that even mean? Well, you can go to God through Christ Jesus, and listen, uh, I even think about the coronavirus. Don't get into fear over that. Yes, use wisdom. You got to wash your hands, whatever. Stay, keep your distance from people. But listen, don't fear that. Don't fear that. Why? Because you have a Passover lamb that surrounds you and protects you on a daily basis. You have that promise. And if you believe that and hold on to it, you'll walk in God's divine health. You'll walk in his divine protection. You'll walk in his divine provision. So I want to read a scripture, and then we're going to pray. And I want you to believe today. If, you've been, if you have any addictions, addictions in your life, I'll pray for you, and we'll take authority over that and break it over your life. And we've saw many people through the years, addictions instantly broken over their lives. So if you'll accept that and receive it by faith, it'll be yours today. We'll pray for you regarding healing in your body. There's many believers that have been sick lately, and we're trusting God through the act of communion and releasing our faith in the redeeming work of Christ, that healing will flow to you right there in your home today. Amen. I, um, I'll read this, and then we'll receive communion together. For this is what the Lord himself said about his table, and I have passed it on to you before, that on the night when Jews betrayed the Lord Jesus, took bread. And when he had given uh, thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established, I love this, and set in motion by his blood. So do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. So I want you to take the communion cup today, and I am going to take it with you and uh, in your homes with your family. And Jesus, again, the same night in which he's betrayed, he took bread. And, he, and the Bible says, and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, for this is my body that has been broken for you. So I want you to know that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of sickness and disease. So I want you to receive by faith. I want you to receive by faith the healing that belongs to you. And then the cup signifies type and shadow of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Why is this important? Because you need to know, whether you're a sinner or a saint, that God's mercy is there for you today. And if you are sincere, not full of pride, but you're really sincere and you're very sorry for your sins, the Lord, will, he'll, he'll forgive you the moment those words come out of your mouth. All you got to do is say, Lord, I'm so deeply sorry. You know what he loves? He loves a repentive heart. 
<clears throat> he loves a contrite and broken spirit. He loves the one who recognizes and is very transparent when it comes to his life and lifestyle. We're always going to be making mistakes on this journey. But God, will, his blood will always be there for you. His broken body will always be there for you to remember what he did for you on the, Christ, on the cross. He took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. The Bible says, by his stripes you're healed. Let's receive the bread right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We bless you today. Thank you. After the same manner, he took the cup. When he supped, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, drink this, for this is, see, this is a type and shadow of the blood covenant that Jesus entered into with his Father to redeem us, to purchase us back from spiritual death. Let's receive the cup. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. We also have our midweek service every week on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.